0: Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever, amen. I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 3 and it should come up on the screen. And we've been going through 1 Peter and last week we looked at what it was to live together, to love one another and as we we receive a blessing how we then become a blessing to others. There are a number of difficulties in this passage. Um, The the second part is is very difficult. Uh, So I understand that um, we can't go into it in depth, Uh, but what I hope to do is give a a summary, um, and then we can have a discussion afterwards. Uh, But that's often what's noticed about this passage. I think even more difficult is Some of the things that we have to struggle with personally. Um, And we'll talk about this uh, in just a moment. I just want to read through the passage. So, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Here's the first difficulty. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? If you were to read the Greek, it would basically the answer to that question would be no one. And that's why Paul's answer is so surprising. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. And then the passage from Isaiah 8. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. I think that's the other intimidating part of this passage. The first one is, you're going to suffer for doing good. And how do, you, how do you handle that? How do you go through that? And then the second is, what is it to give an answer? It's basically to give an answer for everything about everything that somebody might ask you. Uh, and we're like, well, I mean, I, that's, that's a lot to ask. I don't know if I could give an answer for everything. Verse 16, Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be, the, should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, The righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. Beautiful. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it, a few, that is, eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge, the pledge or the appeal of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven... And is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. As we mentioned, I think there's two reasons why this passage can be intimidating. The first reason this can be intimidating is, what if, what if people do not receive your good works as a blessing? You're pouring out your life for people. You're pouring out your life maybe in a relationship How am I to respond when I'm devoted to good, but I experience unjust treatment? It's a painful passage. The people whom Peter is writing to, and maybe some here this morning, say, "This, this is really too much. It actually puts me over the edge. God's already asked me to do this much, and now... He wants me to continue to do good, to be a blessing to others as I have received the blessing of God. God, that's something I just cannot do. You, if you had an audience with God, and you do, but if you were to say to God, this is where I'm at, you would maybe say, I'm tired of being hurt. I'm tired of being misunderstood. I'm actually tired of being ignored, rejected, and slandered, and I'm about done with this. And you can imagine uh, the, Peter, or the people to whom Peter is writing to, they would say something very similar they would, they would hope that the answer to the question, who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good, you'd, they would hope, well, nobody. I'm everybody's best friend. Everybody will receive it as a blessing. But Peter writes, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, this is painful. It's an emotional portion. Actually, first the Bible, but 1 Peter is an emotional book, letter, How am I to respond when devoted to good but experiencing unjust treatment? And then I think the second uh, question that intimidates us from this passage, aside from what is it that uh, Jesus went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, is uh, what we read in verse 13, which is, we're to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in Jesus. So somebody, this, we can almost read this, somebody comes to you with a question, and now we have to give a defense. Not only do we have to go through these painful times, but I have to have an answer for everybody through everything I'm going through. And you might say, well, that's just hugely intimidating. It's like, oh man, I wish I spent more time listening in Sunday school, or something like that, and, and had more answers. Who knows everything about the Bible all the time in every situation? How do you explain everything that you're going through? What does that even look like? So, I think those are some of the reasons why I would find this passage intimidating. So, we're going to look at it in two ways. First of all, we're going to see how does Peter help believers go through unjust treatment? How does Peter help believers go through unjust treatment? And we'll take a look at that in verses 13 through 17 the help that we have. And then Peter is going to talk, Peter's actually going to answer the question of what, it, what a defense looks like. And that's verses 18 through 22. So if you're intimidated and you're saying, I don't think I can give an answer to everybody or anybody on what I'm going through, like what would I even say? Peter tells you what you can say. Peter gives the answer. It's amazing. The Word of God is written in a way where it says you need to do this, but then it supplies how you can do that. It gives you the answer. So, How does Peter help believers, and then how does Peter give them hope? The hope is found in verses 18 through 22, specifically verse 18, and then it's fleshed out in verses 19 through 22. So let's take a look at that. Help in unjust treatment. Help in unjust treatment. What does help in unjust treatment look like? So the question is in verse 13, who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. If you were with us last Sunday, you will know that that blessed word is, um, is, is, is difficult as well because we read that we're to be a blessing to others. We, we read that we're, be, we're to be a blessing to others. It is to do good to them. And so when we looked at that in verse 8, Finally, all of you be like-minded, sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. That's what it is to be a blessing. That's to love one another. But we're a blessing because we we have inherited a blessing. So we take the blessing from God and we become a blessing to others. So when you read you are blessed, there's an extension to this because of the context. If you are blessed, then Peter says, even though you are suffering unjustly, because you are blessed, you can be a blessing to others. He's calling you to do good to others even while you're treated unjustly and unfairly he's asking you to go the second mile he's asking you to turn the cheek you are blessed therefore you are called to be a blessing this is peter had to learn this lesson right if we when we went through the book of mark peter had to learn this lesson remember the first time that peter that jesus said listen um, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes Jesus. He could not see the path to glory through the path of suffering. And then, remember when they're in Gethsemane and uh, Judas comes and betrays Jesus, what does Peter do? Peter pulls out the sword, He says, "We're going to battle through this." And he cuts off the ear, the soldier. Peter had to learn what this passage meant. It was painful. But now he says you're blessed. And we know that if we inherit a blessing, we are to give a blessing. We're to do good. So what are three blessings that you receive when going through unjust treatment? What are three blessings found in unjust treatment? And in recognizing these blessings, then you can be a blessing to others. The first is the blessing of perspective. Verse 14 the blessing of perspective. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. He quotes Isaiah chapter 8. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. So much of our life is lived out of fear. So many of our responses are lived out of fear. Peter knows that. And so what he does is he brings us back to Isaiah 8. If you are go back to Isaiah 8, you would read that the Assyrians are coming and great suffering is going to happen to the people of Israel. In fact, you could go back to 1 Peter 2, verse 7, and he quotes Isaiah 8. This is the second quote from Isaiah 8. And in the first quote, he says, in this invasion, when they go through suffering, some people will stumble. Some people will stop being followers. This passage that he quotes, I'll just read it to you, it might come up. Uh, on the screen it says and we read it for this is what the lord said to me with great power to keep me from going the way of this people do not call everything a conspiracy these people say is a conspiracy don't listen to all the fear out there that's what isaiah is saying to the people he says, don't be afraid the same way they're afraid. You can imagine if you're going to be punished or if you're going to suffer unfairly for your, uh, while you're doing good, you're going to get afraid. You're going to be overwhelmed. And then you're going to respond out of fear. And so Peter brings them back to the story, the story in Isaiah that talks about the coming invasion of Assyria. And he says, don't listen to all the fear out there. Fear drives away focus. We'll see that in just a moment. Our fear drives away focus. Peter says, Focus. Don't be afraid what they fear. Do not be terrified. Consider how much of your Christianity is lived outside of the love that God has for you, the care that He's promised, that He's covenanted with you through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Do we have any reason to fear? And so he goes on to say in verse ten, or in verse uh, thirteen of Isaiah eight. Here's the reason you don't need to be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of Armies as holy. I think the most important word there is only, only, only. You are to regard who only, only the Lord of the Armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only. He should be held in awe. He should be feared. He should be held in awe. He is the only Lord of armies. So what does Peter say right after he quotes Isaiah 8? But in your hearts regard Christ as Lord or the Lord as holy. Isaiah 8 pointed to the coming of Christ. Everything about this passage will be about the resurrection and how we're united to the resurrection of Christ through our baptism so that he will be raised over every spiritual power. At his resurrection, he declares himself to be the Lord of armies, that we can be in awe of him, and we do not need to fear the nations. I'm getting ahead of myself, but why, why, does, he, why does he say eight people in the ark? Because how many believers were surrounded by nations? They were like Noah back in the day. Everybody surrounding them and mocking them, and there's eight people who are saved, and it's going through the waters that saves you. He defeats destruction. He brings salvation so that when Jesus is raised from the dead, he is declaring himself to be the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 8. He is the Lord of the armies. He is one... Who leads us, so we do not need to be afraid, and we hold him in awe because he sits at the right hand of God over angels, principalities, and powers. He is the risen Lord, so we don't need to be afraid. And when you're not afraid and you have that perspective that Christ the Lord is holy, you have this deep commitment to him. All of this determines how you live how you live. Now, that's hard to maintain over time, and that's why the second is so important. If the help in unjust treatment is to understand that, or there's the blessing of perspective, secondly, there's the blessing of purpose. The blessing of purpose. If you have the blessing of perspective, you also have the blessing of purpose in verse 15b. So, Regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Have you ever been asked why you're suffering? And why you keep on following Christ because you are suffering? You, this, this, the second blessing is really this, that you will live with greater clarity of purpose in your life. If the first question is about how will you live, you will not live with fear and you will follow the Lord of armies. You will not be afraid of the nations that surround you. You will not be afraid of the the suffering that you'll go through because you follow the Lord of the armies. That's how you will live. Then what keeps you going? You see, instead of being intimidated by this, this is is life-changing stuff because you ask yourself the question, what actually gives you hope to keep going? What is the hope in your life? Why do you not stop? You see, I, I actually don't think that this passage is you have, to give a, you have to give an answer for everything and know all the questions about the Bible. In its context, you, it's telling us, do you have a reason for hope? I don't know about you, but I talk to a lot of Christians and they've lost that sense of hope. There's a despair that rises up within the church. And then that disorientates us and then we don't know what to live for, who to live for, and then we start compromising all over the place because we're afraid. But why should we be afraid? What hope do you have? Somebody comes up to you and says, listen, I notice uh, you're suffering unjustly. Why do you keep on following Jesus Christ? Have you ever asked yourself this question, am I willing to suffer for Christ and still talk about hope? I know we can't sing right now, but am I, it, will I suffer and still sing? Am I willing to continue to be a blessing to others? You see, sometimes people use suffering to say, it's too much, I have nothing to offer others. That's just the lie of the devil, Right? In fact, it's often in suffering that you find that you become a a blessing to others, more so than when you're not. Or maybe when you're journeying with someone who's going through suffering. Why am I suffering? If you can answer that question, which is answered for us later on, that's a life-changing moment. That's a grounding moment that gives you purpose, that gives you focus, that gives you clarity, that gives you a reason to wake up in the morning. It gives you a reason to send that email, make that phone call, go and do that visit with that person who is suffering. Why do you look forward? That's the question. What causes you to look forward? The blessing of perspective, how will you live? The blessing of purpose, what keeps you going? And then the blessings of purity. I think this is a great fear that many of us have, I have, is if too much suffering comes in or if I experience or see too much suffering, Lord, it's just going to destroy me. I think that's the power of verses 16 and 17. Listen to verse 16. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. Do you know what Peter's you know you know Peter's answering there? Peter is saying suffering will not destroy you. In fact, suffering will enhance your character to be more Christ-like. We think we'll become grumpy and bitter and disdainful towards others. You know, crusty, crusty people being crusty to others because uh, look at how much I'm going through. And we define ourselves by pain. And Peter says pain doesn't destroy you. It doesn't diminish you into a small person with your small kingdom being mad at everybody else and being mad at the world. what, What suffering actually does, even unjust treatment, Even unjust treatment, it actually enhances your character so that you grow in gentleness, so that you grow in respect. And who is the greatest example of this? Jesus. I know you all hum the name. Jesus. Jesus is the greatest example. Who was more gentle and yet treated more? What is Jesus doing on the cross? He's saying, here's my mother, John. John. Can you look after her? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When he would meet with those who were suffering, when he would be with the sinners, he would come in and he would be so gentle and so respectful he would treat them with dignity, with value. And all the while, as we saw in the book of Mark, he was going to the cross and he knew that he would be suffering. And even as he was going to the cross, he was suffering. And we can't eke out a word of encouragement or get rid of, the, you know, get rid of that bitterness in ourselves that causes us to be mean and petty towards others and so self-focused. That's the danger of suffering, right? Everybody's saying, how are you? How are you? How are you? Good question. But how are they? Because you can be a blessing with respect, with gentleness. And you know this because you know people have gone through a lot And they are some of the most gentle and respectful people that you'll ever meet. Because they get it. They get that you have a story. They get that you're hurting. And they get what that's to be like. And so they treat you with gentleness. And they treat you with respect. So if the blessing is purity, first of all, you grow in character. But second of all, it's interesting because you also grow in holiness. Keeping a clear conscience. That's what baptism will talk about that. So that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. Why? For it is better to suffer for doing good. See? You've been blessed to what? To do good. If that should be God's will. You don't go out and look for suffering, by the way. You know, you hear people, like this whole, I, I, I am all for the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. If God is not sovereign, he's just not God. God is sovereign over all things. But that never takes away human responsibility. You still put a seatbelt on in the car. God's sovereign. To, for God not to be sovereign is to dethrone God so we have some part of sovereignty in our lives. But because God is God, you want him to be sovereign. How he portrays himself, his character, what he has done, you want him to be sovereign. But you also want to put on your seatbelt. And so that's what it says. If that should should be God's will, some people will suffer in a variety of ways. Some more deeply, some not as much. But it's not like we go out and say, you know, I'm looking for suffering, so I'm just going to be that kind of person or I'm not going to be wise in how I I move forward. He says, um, if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. Suffering gives perspective, suffering gives purpose, but suffering also purifies. You will grow in holiness. You will grow in holiness. God will give you the grace to respond from the heart to be an even greater blessing and to do even greater good, and to notice and listen for those who are suffering. That is our God. He is the Lord of armies. Now, before we move on to the, I've tried to stay away from the last part as long as I could, but we're going we're gonna to get there. Um, but before I do that, I just want to say this, okay, just a life lesson. Uh, the first one is just going to be a sentence, there is going to be injustice. You are going to suffer. It just is. So have a hope. Have an answer to the hope. Okay? Because you're going to go there and I'm going to go there. And as a church, we're going to go there. But do you have hope Who's going to catch you after all of this? And then secondly, Christians should be the first voice when it comes to injustice. Isn't it true? We can talk about all sorts of ways the church is being attacked. That's okay. We serve the Lord of armies. But if we experience injustice when we're trying to do good, then should we not be noticing those who are experiencing injustice and seek to share the answer of hope with them? That's what Jesus did, right? Jesus just didn't meet on a Sunday have everybody gather and preach a, and preach and sing. And Jesus was out there. And it was messy. And we would look at ourselves in some of those circumstances and say, I don't even know what I'd say, Jesus. Because the religious people would come at me and do this. They would bash me around, and then I'd be, you know, told I was this. And then, um, or other people would say that. And it's like Jesus was just there with respect, with dignity, with gentle. And he gave the answer of hope. He said, I'm going to the cross. The biggest discomfort in the North American church today are not the pews. It is that our eyes have been shut to the hurts around us and we have lost the voice of giving hope to those who desperately need it. That's the most uncomfortable thing, isn't it? We all know it. It's all there, but we don't talk about it. And here Jesus, or Paul Peter says, listen, you're going to suffer. And if you're going to suffer, then man, that is a gateway right into our community. That is a gateway right into our culture. You know what it is to suffer. So you come alongside those who are suffering. And for one person, it might be in this area. And you hear certain people say, everybody's got to be in that.' No, one person there, a group there, a group there. And the church is spread out into the community and into the vulnerable sectors and into places where there's massive injustice and you lend a voice but it's a voice that gives hope not just for today or tomorrow but eternal hope we spend our time here so we can spend our time there so that we can be those who are agents of grace and hope That's, that's my prayer. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to read a portion from Isaiah 58, and then I'm going to say one other thing, and then we'll close. We'll be able to spend more time next week on the other part, um, but I'll, give you, I'll, I'll let you know where we're going next week, okay? Isaiah 58, this is Israel pretending to be all that and more, right? What does God say? Talking about fasting. You say, why have we fasted but we've not seen? God, we've been such good religious people. And then he says this. Is is it not to share your bread with the hungry? To bring the poor and homeless into your house? To clothe the naked when you see him? And not to ignore your own flesh and blood? Then your light will appear like the dawn. By the way, verse 7 is all Jesus, right? That's what he did. And your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you. And the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. At that time when you call, the Lord will answer. And when you cry out, he will say, here I am. If you get rid of the yoke among you, what's the yoke? The finger-pointing and the malicious speaking, and if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night will be like noonday. You ever worry about sometimes inviting people in and then they begin to notice all the finger pointing and all the malicious speaking? Instead of those who come in And are greeted with such love and sympathy, moving towards a person and compassion, walking with a person so that you can share with them the hope that is found in you in the name of Jesus Christ. And then finally in verse 11, the Lord will always lead you, satisfy you in a parched land and strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden and like a spring whose water never runs dry. If it is my story, if it's our story and not the story of Jesus Christ, then we will just dry up. But if it is the story of Jesus, we will be a well-watered church that will seek in the footsteps of Jesus to reach out to those who are hurting. Now, that all leads us to verses 18 through 22. And I will just give you the answer for next week. Okay? This is the, what is the answer that... What is the answer of hope? This is the amazing thing that Peter does. In one verse, he explains all the hope that you'll ever need. And then in verses 19 through 22, what he does is he just explains what that hope is and how that hope is connected with our life. That's the amazing thing about baptism. What does baptism do? Union with Christ. It's beautiful. Talks about the story of Christ, union of Christ. And then verse 22, what's the final picture? Jesus reigns on high. Lord of the armies, here's the answer for your hope. Here's the answer for my hope. For Christ also suffered. Right? That's the harm. For sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. That's the good. Why was Jesus dying? Righteous for the unrighteous. What's the harm? He died. What's the hope? That he might bring you to God. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. He was put to death in the flesh, was made alive by the Spirit. And now you live in the presence of the Spirit. So you suffer. Why? Because you have a story to tell. Well, what what will people say? What will people say if, if they ask me about my hope? Jesus. Let me tell you about the story of Jesus. Jesus died. He suffered. Sins once for all, complete. That's why he's up in glory. The righteous for the unrighteous. I was unrighteous. I was dripping with unrighteousness. I was soaked with unrighteousness. But in his righteousness, he died in order that I might be set free to be brought to God. I have access to God through Jesus Christ. So this world may take my life, but I will fall into the arms of God. And he will embrace with such love, such love, that is a world of hope. So if you are discouraged today, and if you say, I want to give up, I have no hope, verse 18, Jesus suffered, unrighteous for the righteous, or righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. We'll look at that next week. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father God, thank you that you know our hearts so well that we can be filled with so much fear, that we can be filled with so much anxiousness. All the conspiracies, all the things that are happening around us, and we lose focus on hope, And we lose focus on being a blessing. And we lose focus that all the powers of the evil one cannot erase the character-growing moments in our life. In fact, suffering will give us a more Christ-like character. So fill us with hope. Fill us with awe. Fill us with the holiness of God. In Jesus' name, amen.